Why are there not enough movies in August? In honor of Apocalypse Now and E.T. the Extraterrestrial being re-released this weekend in limited places, what movie classic should be in theaters to fill this gap? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I imagine Independence Day got re-released maybe around the same time as that uh, terrible sequel, but uh, they should re-release it again because the new kids, uh, the new generations need to know. Are you saying Resurgence was terrible, Katie? We saw that together. Uh, that I know. It's one of the, I think it's the last movie I saw in theaters before I had a child. Sorry to Warcraft. Uh-huh. We all thought that Yikes. was going to be it. <laughs> Uh, I'm at Patches, and I'm going to go with The Towering Inferno. I want more classic, but not quite seminal blockbusters on the big screen. Please. I've never seen that one. Bring it back. Yeah. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and there's a 70 millimeter anniversary print of 2001 A Space Odyssey that exists, and boy, I'd like to see it in theaters, considering I saw the movie for the first time last year. Really? Uh, That is surprising. Uh, Hi, I'm David. I'm very tired. but I <laughs> start I, start the show. Uh, yeah, I, just, I was like listening to Dave's enthusiasm, and I was like, "That's what's missing from my life right now, from my soul." Um, I need to be able to to generate it uh, internally. But uh, I will go with I don't know. I'm going to go with Hayao Miyazaki's Porco Rosso because I was literally watching it till the moment we started recording this episode. But like, what a, a lovely, refreshing dog days of summer treat that movie is. I think yeah. uh, between that and air conditioning, you'd be you'd be set for the month. That movie's got a real summertime vibe. I'll give you that. You can't go to Italy. Yeah. Go watch Porco Rosso. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine. I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. This episode 402 is Pandemic 125. It's the week of Wednesday, August 10th. On that day in 1950, Sunset Boulevard premiered. It was like a weird time of year for Sunset Boulevard to premiere. I know summer blockbuster season didn't exist yet then and everything, but... When it's like five. one of those things where it's like, hey, it's here. And then it was like somewhere else for a couple of weeks. I don't know. The 50s movie releasing. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get to the there. thing. Uh, it's uh, it, if Porco Rosso has a summertime vibe, I would say Sunset Boulevard definitely does not, uh, <laughs> even though it involves a pivotal scene in a pool. Uh, David, who I saw in person this weekend, which was so nice. Uh, you lucky ducks. I know we missed you. Well, I didn't see patches and David at the same time. I saw you guys separately because you know, you cannot. So you don't know if we're we're actually two Mm -hmm. different people or not. We could be the same person. I did see, I did see both West side story with both of you. Not that long ago. So one has the helm. One has the jewel. The Mm -hmm. other has the bag of sand. That's true. Uh, anyway, David, how about our reviews? Did people uh, see it sense that we were in the same room together and decide to compliment us? Katie, somebody (laughs) did. The review. I don't know if they felt the disturbance of the force or not, but unfortunately, because of a computer malfunction, I am not presently able to access our <laughs> iTunes page. So uh, I think I think we found a loophole here this week, which is that we do have a review. I have seen it with my own two eyes. I saw that it was there at least. Um, so we will not talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, but we will also wait until next week to actually read said review. Well, you know uh, what? Would fit perfectly in this gap. International reviews. Set to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Here we go. This one comes from Ashley, who is in uh, Todsberg, Norway. She says, yes, the same one that's in all the Marvel films. I enjoy the company of you all and your frequently passionately wrongheaded takes on film, TV, and Galaxy of Heroes. In any case, if I could invite everyone over for a wine-fueled barbecue, I would in a heartbeat. Keep up the great work. The alchemy you folks have is rare and needs official protection. On a scale of quality content, if Fitware was a movie, it would be bound. Please tell us which each movie Whoa. you guys think Fitware would be. Whoa. Do we have to each pick a movie that we think just, Fighting in the War just, Room is? I'm, I'm too distracted by the idea of being invited to a barbecue in Norway, which I would absolutely Yeah, I want to I wanna note so. here, she said it's not possible to invite us to this barbecue in Norway. It's very possible to invite us to the barbecue in Norway. It's not as possible for us to attend the barbecue, but let's just be clear. You could invite us to a barbecue in Norway. I'm fucking going. I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm fucking if you going. invite us, we will come. I mean, there's probably some really fun answers for what we could be. We could obviously be Dr. Strangelove. We could be 
12 angry men and katie rich we could be you know <laughs> uh fight club and what is a what is a pod in, or if we're just talking about in terms of quality we are an ip more than we're a single movie right oh we keep churning it out why, why, don't for we just years. Be, why don't we just be a high quality one-off why don't we be a uh, fight club <laughs> i'm down i'm down with that i was gonna uh, no, all right, anatomy, movies, right? we're like we're all Somehow no, we're still sure. going on forever. No one knows when it really started. No. It's not necessarily the biggest thing on, but it's there for people. Yeah, it's like a supernatural. Uh, all I right. like that. This, this one comes from JB, who says, It's an international review. Sorry, Star Wars fans. Hi, all. Longtime listener, first time caller. Greetings from sunny Glasgow, Scotland. First, first off, thanks, due to patches for, thanks to Patches for name-checking Fat Bastard during the recent lightning round question. Truly one of our country's most triumphant cinematic representations. No, no one should a be A stereotype I know this. we're all so glad is floating it around more than 20 years later. I don't, I don't support this. Classic. Anyway, Classic. I just wanted to write in to sing the praises of what is easily my favorite pop culture podcast. With every episode, I know I'm going to get a great spread of film and TV opinions expressed in an informative and entertaining way, all soundtracked by Dave's peerless music choices. From outside, America might seem like it's slipping further into the abyss with each passing day. But so long as Fitware is doling out a weekly dose of cinematic fun, the world feels like a slightly brighter place. You're all class. Keep up the good work. Wow. Uh, and then, P.S. I know David is fond of international film festival visits. We have a brilliant one here in Glasgow. If he ever, fan ever fancy some proper Scottish hospitality. I'm A couple going. years ago. I'm going. I'm going to all these places. Fitware <laughs> European <laughs> tour. Oh, I'm, my God. Going to Glasgow. I would, I would love to go to Glasgow. I have listened to enough. Bell and Sebastian music in my day to uh, not that their songs always cast Glasgow in the most appealing light, but uh, love God help the girl. I got to visit. Uh, yeah, JB parts. says a couple years ago, they even had Jesse Buckley doing a live gig at our Grand Old Opry in aid, in aid of the premiere of Wild Rose. Yeah, if that doesn't convince him to add this city to his list, then nothing will. Great. This guy listens to the podcast. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be there. Now I know where I'm staying. Let's go. What if we what if we start a Patreon just to fund our European trip? That's the entire purpose. Of the I'm sure that would be uh, looked upon well by the internet. Very popular and rewarding for all the people funding it. And this next one I thought was an international review, but it's secretly a, a question about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. So you know what? We'll save it <laughs> for when we have to. People are getting sneaky about this. Uh, yeah, if you have international reviews, you could send them over to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. We also get the other emails, but the international reviews are the ones we're going to read out loud on the podcast. You to call in, man, you send you up. Reason, call in, Uh, well, as mentioned, I was in the uh, New York area over the weekend and I got to do something that I know I have done before in my life, but I don't know when the last time was. I sat on a couch and watched a movie with Matt Patches. <laughs> I really recommend this experience to yeah. everyone. Anyone when who gets the, the chance to do so. When was the last time you think we did that? I mean, not just seeing a movie in theaters, I mean, hung out. Did you watch American Sniper with me oh, that's uh, right. on a couch with Chris <laughs> Rosen? Like this is that this was, is where my mind goes. That was almost that a decade during, ago. Like, the polar vortex or something. Because I was uh, kicked out and walking around New York in a walkabout and uh, staying at your place, and we you, may have just queued you, up that screener, award screener for American Sniper, Polar Vortex. Yeah. Wow. Uh, baby. Yeah. You don't. You don't. Uh, yeah, that real fake baby. So anyway, we watched Thirteen Lives. <laughs> this is uh, relevant because this Clint Eastwood like, movie. He is out of his mind. Yes. <laughs> uh, maybe I was a little bit. Uh, that should cloud. That should appropriately cloud the segment that everyone knows. Anything bad just says about this movie. Uh, he was like absolutely stoned. Is, uh, I don't think watched. Katie can verify. I was not absolutely stoned out of my mind. I was eating a lot of popcorn. No, you were a normal person. You, you kept confusing Colin Farrell for Goldan. You were high out of <laughs> Goldan. At least he's not like Gold is that is that is that Chaffee? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Colin Farrell did have a weird uh, John Oliver look about him in this movie, but I don't think that's uh, that was George talking. I hmm. Anyway, we watched 13 Lives, Ron Howard movie about the Thai cave rescue. It's really long. 
like to, like two and a half hours long to the point that we were like, we're never going to finish this movie. And then we finished it because I thought we were like pretty engrossed by it. Then a day later, I see David Ehrlich in person and he says, that movie is so boring. So, you know, we got to do, we got to fight about we it. Definitely have to fight about I mean, it. I don't know. I don't know how much of a fight I'm willing to have over 13 lives of all things. In movie that <laughs> how many lives will you well, personally was, lose to fight? Was ceasing to exist. I mean, my problem with 13 lives, which, uh, it's about the Thai cave rescue, which I believe I should be. I should. It's I from 2018. Had these facts readily memorized just a couple of weeks ago, but life uh, moves too fast these days. Yes, it was in 2013, uh, 2018 rather. 18. Um, I, I and I was. I admitted this in my review that like I just could not watch this movie without seeing it through the lens of having seen the documentary uh, by the team who made Free Solo, the rescue last year around this time. Sure, it's very and recent. It's a fair thing is, to do. The rescue is phenomenal. Uh, and really it also, yeah, and it, but it also, as I wrote in my review of the rescue at the time, um, makes a case that they're really, and I didn't even know that Ron Howard was already in post-production on a movie about this very subject when I wrote this, but I was saying that I, I, I it seems to negate the need for any sort of big Hollywood version of it because between the uh, immediacy of the documentary interviews and the recreations, which are so beautifully staged with the real divers were there um the thrills it wasn't simply just like a a bunch of talking heads reflecting back on this incredible ordeal it, it really was sort of a you are there uh thrill ride intensity all that shit and uh and i felt a little bit unfortunately vindicated watching ron howard's 13 lives because i was like yeah i've seen this movie it was done a lot better but what was really perverse about it was that i found that you know the guys in the documentary the people that were actually in Involved in this rescue mission are such incredible characters. They're so eccentric, they're so interesting. Um, they are what resonated with me about them is like they are these sixty-something-year-old British cave dry divers. One of them is, is that age, and his friend's a little bit younger. Who um, hear about what's happening in the cave in Thailand? This, these thirteen people, uh, members of a young soccer team in Thailand, and their coach, who was compared to us, also very young. Um, and they have been trapped in a cave and these guys half a world away immediately recognize they're the only people on earth who are qualified to go in there and save them who have the, um, the experience and the capability that they can give it a fair shot. And they, the moral burden that you feel, uh, and how readily they accept that call and the very sort of ambivalent feelings about winding up there in this media circus, feeling the pressure of the government around them. The stakes changing so that it comes from like saving one boy would be a miracle to suddenly if they didn't save all the boys, they would be held accountable. Um, it, it's there's a lot going on and it's fascinating how it's filtered through their personalities. And the movie does away with all of that. I mean, Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell are, are playing non-entities effectively. Wow, I totally disagree with just that. Takes... I totally disagree with yeah, that. Yeah, well, I do too. Wrong, but um, you're both wrong. You were watching it together being wrong in the same plume of pot smoke. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's a competently done movie. I Vigo, It's an incredible story. I mean, it is impossible to fuck up in a certain way, um, certainly at this level, because the story is just so much more amazing than I think the world realized when it was happening. Um, the details are more fascinating than we were able to get into the daily news uh, amid everything else that was going on in the world at the time. Um, and both movies relay what those details are, but uh, I felt none of the same stakes or urgency or uh, personal sort of touch in, in 13 Lives. It you felt, felt none very, of the stakes oh, um, in the Ron Howard version. I mean, they're still I mean, diving not, for I their mean, lives. They're still, and the recreations are pretty elaborate sure are. and even more immersive it, on some it level. It is not. Hey, it, it is, I think, eventually after this, all the pieces are in motion, it is not an unengaging film. I think Ron Howard is too competent a filmmaker and the story is too incredible for it to yes. really just not involve you. But um, and the sort of less is more approach, not always associated with Ron Howard, but I think worked really well for him. And well, you already chose your uh, guy. Disaster. You had you love the documentary. You're well, an absolute. It's not that I chose. It's, I it's just I that I sat down being in the position of, OK, I know this story. I saw the documentary twice less than a year ago. Um, it was so vivid that it was sort of etched into my mind. And I got you there, had there baggage. no you had added baggage. value proposition. There was just like there was not a single minute of this movie that added something to that experience. Completely disagree. Katie, how do you feel? How do you feel about it? If we're Well, no, I went I wanted to like get back to what David said about the less is more approach from Ron Howard, because I think that's a really good point. Like there is a score in this movie that 
I think is really minimal if it's really there at all. Um, he's kind of just like toggling back and forth, knowing that the incredible details of the story are going to be able to speak them for themselves in a lot of ways. I mean, he includes things that aren't in the documentary, like the effort of the people to divert the rainwater on top of the cave. Like that's an entire really fascinating subplot, which I think goes a long way toward kind of help not make the Thai rescue efforts look really bad in comparison. And this is something I thought about in the rescue. Like the fact is these like white guy British divers showed up in Thailand and managed to rescue the kids, whereas the Thai Navy SEALs couldn't do it. And one of them died in the process. And I think being able to show some of the homegrown rescue efforts helped tip the scales a little bit because did, this did is such a huge like, effort. Did yes. you feel like the like because I think in theory, what you're saying is absolutely right. They were really trying to sort of um, you know push away from any sort of like white savior narrative. And obviously the men who came in, well, not obviously, but if you've seen the documentary, obviously the men who came in were very careful about not overstepping and trying to operate within this broader uh, operation. And you um, see that in the film too, I think. Yeah, but I think I think that the way that they dramatize the efforts of the local people, you know, they're, they're, the way the, the sacrifice that the farmers had to make, I found very interesting. That was something that was not in the documentary fairly, um, where they agreed to let their crops be destroyed yeah, so was, that they can farm mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. But I think other than that one detail, a lot of those scenes felt very prosaic, felt added purely for the effect of what you're describing, of like trying to not just let this all be about the competence of these white British men who come in and the helplessness of the local population. But I didn't think that they found dramatic through lines to those other stories to do more than have them to have them be more than sort of just lip service to that idea. No, I think you get this moment where it starts raining again and you've got the divers who are because like the thing about the divers is they're like, well, we're going to do the job like they're kind of these stoic guys and they are in the documentary. I think you, you might have some point about them being a little bit more like colorful in the documentary version, um, but they're going to go in and do their job regardless. But the people who are diverting the rainwater, like they're scrambling, they're working hard. Like, I think you feel the sense of urgency and success for them and being able to divert that water. I think it adds a, a good element in the kind of the third act of the rescue. Yeah, and I, I think Patches. that... You like this movie, like me. Yeah, and I think, just to add on to your point there, that Ron Howard does found room to like spotlight the, the Thai Marines, or the Marines who are actually congregating from around the world. I don't even think they're all Thai. Lots of different people came to help in this mission, um, and there are scenes in the movie where we're like, can those guys get back? Can they accomplish their missions? Uh, it's, it's a complicated process, and... David, you saw it as lip service, but I just see it as kind of the part of the tapestry of all these things are going on, even while these are the guys who are going to get them out. All of these pieces were ultimately important. They needed to pump massive amounts of water out of the cave in order for these guys to accomplish their missions. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I found it to be I am glad and I'm like you, David, I'm bringing the baggage of, of the rescue to this movie. And I'm glad I did because it feels like it's it's necessary background. I don't know what I'd feel just watching the Ron Howard movie, um, which we should say. Oh, our friends yeah. we were watching it with uh, were, oh, had not true. seen it and they really yeah, liked we, it. They were freaking out. a big party. Yeah, yeah, we were. We had a watch yeah, party. Yeah, that's right. We, <laughs> we're, ha we're hanging out in Jersey without you, Biggest David. movie of the year, Amazon 13 lives. So you that, that all, like, five people watch this movie at the same time. Oh, There's yeah. half their screen. <laughs> Every, everybody was watching Prey the same night, except... didn't support Prime Video. Um... Yeah, where, what I, where I think Ron Howard goes right here is just the production value of it all. I mean, David, what you're kind of, not naysaying, but you, you're, he shoots it competently. He is standing back and like letting us take in this experience. And I find, while I enjoyed the rescues versions of the recreations with the actual guys, I think there's a limitation of budget there that something like 13 Lives actually builds on. I'm, again, I'm glad I saw... The rescue and then could see it in kind of like a bigger picture and not necessarily a hollywoodification there are some moments that are just like uh oh i dropped the thing and now we're gonna have like a mini set piece here and i'm not sure how much of that sure. stuff really happens but it, it certainly does I, mean, I thought about i thought about you david where like i'm getting the um ecstatic truth here i'm getting i'm understanding the circumstances of what if they drop I, the syringe I, I what if they bump into the stalagmites Stalactite. Dropping the syringe is one thing. Yeah. I mean, we, there, we do remember from the documentary that there was an incident, you know, with with getting one of the kids out. But yes. I would have actually preferred more. Um, I, more I respect peril. Ron Howard's to not Hollywood it up too much. But I think the movie falls into this gray area where it's like you have the things that uh, on paper I would ask you to include, such as, um, you know, the, the 
the slice of life from the local people and um, the efforts of the Thai Royal uh, Navy. And I like the idea of having that governor character who is, they don't really, they keep it a bit too vague and underwritten, but the idea is that he's in some sort of political peril. And right, he's going to run again and he'll never, he'll be out of, you know, sent out of town if he fucks this up. He finds the, the backbone to really shoulder responsibility for this. Um, all those elements are there and I wanted them to be there, but I wanted them to mean something. Um, and I don't think that the movie ever really finds the dramatic oomph it needs because it is of such split minds. It is so focused on being reserved and holding back and not letting it get away from itself and get all Hollywood eyes that I think um, its impulses struggle against its its instincts and, and you know what it's trying to do. Um, it's a bit confused in that sense, but uh, and I, it's a real, you know, Colin Farrell cannot possibly suppress all of his charisma, but I well, still think that it's kind of a waste. Yeah, then, and like their characters, are like why they show that he has a son just to to <laughs> I, I guess express the idea that like he also cares for a young person and he's the one who son. doesn't hate kids. The two of them, Vigo yeah. Mortensen hates well, like, those kids. So like literally, all we see of uh, the Vigo Mortensen character's life is that he like he is in the UK in his house for like a second, and uh, and messy. you know there's so much more to that guy. And even if you hadn't seen the documentary, you'll be able to feel. But here's the thing: so I, I will say, I'll anything. say this. Like, I thought Vigo. I turned to Katie halfway through this movie. Now, look, I was my mind was I was I was I opened my mind to many possibilities here. But I will say, I turned to Katie. I was like, Vigo fucking rules. Vigo is an amazing actor, even when he's playing like some schmo from the UK who's just really good at diving, just happens to be in this situation. To your point, David. Like, yes, the rescue had these amazing recreations using the divers in those in the life or death scenarios but where i really what i really got out of what i restriction in the rescue by the way but what i really got out of 13 lives was um the recreations of the mundane moments of them stewing and we get some of that in the documentary it's mostly Mm. told to us in Mm -hmm. talking heads but like getting to see them in the tent getting them to pal around some of these guys that they recruit for the mission are real are real characters and seeing vigo mortensen as this guy richard being like they're all going to die. How do we say this to people? Like, there's no way this is going to happen. They're all going to die. It's and all, if we fuck up, they're they all going to die. It's they just, they just stand there and look forlorn. Uh, and, and so there really it's isn't much understated. else going on. No, I mean, it, it, it's the potential for understatement, but there's nothing to fill it with. But I think Joel Edgerton comes in and adds some chutzpah to the whole thing. Love Joel but Edgerton. I, I, I love movie. getting to see more of that I character. Love the detail of him. Uh, I love the detail of him. Yeah. telling or using the same sort of means of distraction for each boy yeah. that he, uh, injecting the syringe. That was a nice touch. But um, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, sure. most people out there have a bandwidth for one version, one movie about the story. Uh, and uh, some of us I, have I, two. I and if you're lucky, you have two. <laughs> some of us have been on paternity leave for nine months. I also, so, uh, I'm so alone. Every, every version of every movie I, ever made. But I think... <laughs> That uh, I think if you're out there and you're, you're you should you owe it to yourself to see at least one movie about this incredible story. Both of them tell it you know sufficiently enough, but I, I cannot overstate enough how much more you'd get out of watching the rescue. Yeah, I mean I like the rescue a lot, but I don't know that it's like such a clear cut decision for me because I like this movie a lot too, and I think the like the Hollywood version of something and like having actors kind of bring out the ecstatic yep. truth, like Batches was saying. Like I think I think there's there's value in that. We- we witnessed why this works for people who probably wouldn't take a chance on the documentary. Yeah. Not necessarily that we have to like make films for the, the mainstream or something, but like our whole group Get was it. into you it. All go to your local dispensary. It's legal <laughs> in Jersey now. Light one up and sit back with 13 lives. Hey, man. I had a great time. I was gonna clean my room until I got high. <laughs> I was gonna get up and find the broom, but then I got high. My room is still messed up, and I know why. Why, man? Yeah, cause I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. Well, Matthew, no, I don't even think I get that calm. I need, I want my bag of sand back. No. 
Can't do it. If you are a vortex, I must murder <laughs> This is why you. we were not cast in the Sandman, Dave, the new Netflix show. That's that right. they've been trying to make into something for eons? I mean, I feel like they... Someone's been trying to make it since the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, one yeah. way or the other. This was, this was a 1989... Uh, kicked off in 89. Neil Gaiman comic book. I think it was a Vertigo. So now people just call it DC uh, comic, but it, it was Vertigo. And... Um, uh, and a very Neil Gaiman story. It stars. It's about Dream or Morpheus, the god, the king of dreams. And um, in the beginning of the comic, he gets captured by my mere mortals who summon him and steal all mm-hmm. his shit, his, all of his magical shit. And he needs to get his shit back. Captured by mere mortals. I know. And actually, he's made fun of several times in this series, at least in the first half, which I've watched, uh, made fun of by Lucifer for getting his shit stolen by mortals. Uh, he is a dweeb. How many episodes have you uh, gotten? gotten I have Patrick? watched four of the ten of this new Netflix show, um, and I was, I was on pins and needles watching every one, because as we were talking about, like, yeah, in the early 90s, they started talking about making... Sandman, which is this very ethereal, very contemplative, very artsy comic at times. It's, it can almost feel like a horror comic. It can feel like a big cosmic adventure. It, Sandman has been able to do everything in Neil Gaiman's hands, and when they started developing it in the 90s, I just remember it was like, even Gaiman would talk about, eh, they really want him to fight crime. Or they really want him to be just like Batman, mm-hmm. kind of, or something. Um, and so on and on, they would try and figure out what can they make out of Sandman and eventually, this was in like early 2010s now, which I would say is not too long ago, but it's a decade ago. Hello. Oh, um, boy. Oh, Joseph Gordon Levitt was going to like write and direct and star in a, a Sandman movie. That's how you knew it was the early 2010s. Well, it was all going to yeah. be, it was all going to come out as hit records on Hit Record Joe. <laughs> yeah. Hot off Don John. Sandman. Joseph Gordon Levitt mm-hmm. was going to make Sandman. My, my body, my. My girls, my bi- my boys, my Sandman. My, my bag of sand, my mask. <laughs> my, my ruby. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, that, that did not happen at Warner Brothers. And so suddenly it just, like, it was never going to happen. And then WB gave Netflix the rights to do it. And David Goyer uh, of Batman Begins and many other things fame stuck with this project for, like, that decade and because um, he was going to produce the Gordon Levitt version. And here we are with a 10-episode Netflix Sandman series, which could not scare me more. I'm just like, I'm not sure Netflix's blockbuster event television prospects have been going very well. Although I would argue maybe their best other show we talked about on the podcast is another Vertigo property called Sweet Tooth. So maybe I should have been more excited for this. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of the Sandman? Show that has already ceased to exist. No, even it's though getting a season two. F you. I know that's insane, but it is good, uh, good television. Good minutes. I like this adaptation of Sandman. It stays very close to the comics. I think for the first four episodes, which is why I was asking. Uh, they do pull some things forward uh, to make the season arc sort of feel like a season arc. I'll speak to the comic readers because it's going to be gibberish to anybody else. Uh, but they bring up the Corinthian to make him sort of a uh, looming presence before he actually has to show up in the story. And uh, they bring forward uh, Matthew the Raven, who is uh, voiced by Patton Oswalt here. Uh, that is uh, my least <laughs> I mean, favorite choice I'm... in this adaptation, hearing everyone be like high British, you know, wispy, emo, goth, dream figures. And then you have Patton Oswalt being like, what do you think? Are we going to hell? That's not a good Patton Oswalt. but. <laughs> Yeah, so they've sort of brought him further up in the stories, basically, so Dream has somebody to talk to, because the problem that Patches was alluding to and why it's difficult to adapt Sandman at all is that it's all about Dream becoming, like, a tolerable character. And the more tolerable and relatable he gets, the less he's in the actual series uh, as the series goes on. So we start here, we start in the first episode, and we don't hear him talk after he gets imprisoned. And we're just off, and he's this glaring, pale white dude. It's exactly like in the issue. And then it goes into the first uh, sort of arc, which is he has to reclaim his hood, his bag of sand, and his ruby. They all have various powers. These powers have been spruced up uh, so that some of them uh, extend your life. So uh, all of this series that is supposed to take place in 1989 
it's now taking place in present day. So they've added a little bit of things and explained how people are like slightly older than they should be, uh, but still staying pretty true to the the Sandman uh, arcs. The end of the season becomes a little bit more of a traditional TV show where we start on a roller coaster and we start on a plot and we have to follow that plot through like four episodes. But Patches, I have some great news for you and anybody else that wants to maybe like dip into Sandman. Episode five and episode six are adapted from basically standalone issues and they are fantastic. Like they just embrace like one episode, one story. It's definitely a well, type of show where, which isn't always true in Netflix shows where you can yeah. do like, oh yeah, the one with black. I, but I would, I would say and, all the episodes, uh, even the first four that I've watched feel that way. The first one is adapted straight from the comics and is kind of a prelude. It really, you would not know what this show is or about um, based on this first episode. It's total backstory. And then you kind of dive right in, and it's all one-off, one-off episodes. We get a new Constantine. We get an episode there. <coughs> I mean, episode four is really great. Uh, I couldn't believe the scale of the show and the, like the production value is really is quite cinematic <coughs> in an unexpected way. They go to hell, uh, as I mentioned, and and meet Lucifer, played by Gwendolyn like Christie. I'm there. Hello, he's Louis. Uh, <laughs> hey. hey, you know some of us, some of us like this, and uh, a lot of people actually. Yeah, we're both talking about a thing we like. You and your <laughs> movie is about the so, thing you didn't like. You saw the documentary. in a cave, <laughs> and we'll figure tweet out the Tweet to the other best Netflix show. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't co-sign that, but I mean, I did like Sweet Tooth, and I do like Sandman, and I think the thing that makes Sandman at least notable to me as a Netflix show is it counteracts that Netflix mid-season sag by just doing something else. Uh, and it could feel really disjointed if you were thinking about this as a season, but it is very faithful to the way the comic books would just suddenly be like, new volume, switching things up. Here are your new characters. Uh, so I'm going to be very interested to see what they do for season two. They do have a tease at the end of season one of where season two would go. That is like not thrilling if you've read the comic books, but I'm sure for newcomers is like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Uh, it's more that uh, this lead guy who's playing Morpheus... Tom Strutty. Uh, he's yes. Strutty? He is doing the pouty dream face that looks like, uh, you know, a member of the Cure that I want to punch, which is the state of the character right now. So I think that's really good. But more than that, he um is able to get close to I think the reigning multimedia Sandman, which is uh James McAvoy in the mm. ongoing Audible. uh audible original uh and james mcavoy is just like making a meal out of this like tone of voice and it's just it's great as somebody who read the comics and very notably even though comics are visual medium medium to not have like an auditory thing that i've been able to do the audible original and the netflix series and really it's only Patton oswalt yeah. that's like yeah, that no, was a mistake but uh tom sturridge but like uh, he's he's going to be yeah. tumblr's number one crush uh by the time everybody gets through this show it is so goth and it's cool he's 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 cool pouty man um and, and it works yeah and they just let a lot they let a lot of brits uh do some character acting and it's enjoyed therefore yeah, enjoyable david, like a tv series david that, phyllis you know, is in this show and he's being kooky he is how do you not want to watch the sandman he's he's a kooky he's to, a kooky dude yeah. don't we know that so the episode that Patches is about to watch is David Thewlis. He has this magic ruby and he decides he's going to change the world. And we just watch him slowly influence these people in a diner. And the episode's called 24 7. It's based off the comic book. It also does that. But the comic book takes it to like this immediate like fucking body horror place. Fucking and body <laughs> horror. I mean, those are two different things. Uh, whereas this episode has become a Netflix adaptation, but also by... Uh, Thulis's acting choices it becomes like a de-evolution of a character piece it's fantastic uh, so actually that might be episode 6 and then episode 5 is anyway 5 and 6 those are the sweet spot of Sandman it doesn't really stick the landing for me because it starts to become more of an adventure series I think uh, with the plot line that involves a convention of serial killers uh, that we spend a couple of episodes dealing with rather than just one. Uh, but that that's definitely not enough to say this was not successful. Like, Sandman shouldn't be as enjoyable as it is. Netflix or no, 
uh, it's a really difficult property to also communicate in a different medium. David, Katie, don't sleep on Sandman. Ayo! Whew, Sandman's a big ass for me, I gotta say. A big, big ass? ass. He's got big ass. Does he have a big ass? ass? Uh, no, he's, he's got, got a very bony ass. ass. Mm, yeah, mm. not happening, but. Not God, interested. Godspeed to you all. So, the surprise release uh, of August is not, was not in theaters. I don't know, August isn't over, but I'm just, I'm projecting out here. There's nothing the, out this week at all, so we can safely guess that maybe the rest of this month isn't going to go great. Yeah, um, uh, was a Dan Trachtenberg Predator prequel that does not have the word Predator in the title, but is solidly part of the Predator IP. It is Prey... That uh, I'm, I'm laughing at your use of IP how, here. How about the franchise? How about just the Predator franchise? Sure. The Predator I mean, this is definitely this is definitely part the of the Predator Predators. franchise. If we if, if we I, want to divide it like that about the Predator franchise, <laughs> yeah. Why does anyone give a shit? What? Like, I like Predator <laughs> as much as any other person should like Predator. Okay. Or do you? I do. I mean, it's Predator is a very fun '80s movie. Yeah. Uh, no complaints. Sure. A classic. There is absolutely nothing about Predator that says to me I ever need to see another Predator movie in my life. There is it is such thin gruel. There is nothing more about this like you know Hold up. militaristic alien civilization. This really on. ugly. <laughs> likes coming and hunting people for sport as some like masculine rite of passage. It's like I had a bar mitzvah. You're disparaging every like horror slasher fan right now. You're you're asking why would there be more than one Jason movie? Why would there be more than one Freddy movie? I'm not saying at patches. I'm not existentially asking why. I'm just saying this particular premise does not seem to have any meat on the bone to me. I cannot fathom the enduring appeal to Predator. I say this is someone who saw Alien vs. Predator. Alien vs. Predator Requiem in theaters or what anyone could see of that movie that was shot with like one source yeah, of funds. Like, that was not a successful um, entry. Uh, I had to see the fucking awful Shane Black Predator oh, movie that was from terrible. a couple of years. Just awful. I, the, mm-hmm. Predator, the other Predator movies, they're all the same fucking thing. I can never... You're still talking no, existentially about like how does a no, slasher I, I character I become just don't, a franchise? Explain to me the question. Yeah. No, Prey explains this. Yeah, but Dave yeah. can explain it even better than the movie Prey. Dave, so the thing to me what it make... is what the hook is with Predator that brings people back. So the first Predator is a movie whose plot justifies its hook. It's like look at all these people that are supposed to be war experts. They're all jacked. They're high on their own testosterone the entire time. They have like machine guns. Look at them come up against basically the equivalent to like the innocence that the American war machine slaughters. Imagine if that was flipped, the tables were flipped on the Americans. Hey, it's a space alien. Uh, and it lucked out by having some cool designs and cool ideas. And they didn't go with the Jean-Claude Van Damme and a costume uh, version. They started shooting predator, I think works, but I think it works because it's a singular movie that is able to exist with that metaphor. Yes. Predator 2, they fuck it up. They try to rapidly expand the universe. They're like, well, if the Predator is going to hunt the actual Predators, he's just not going to go after military men. He's going to go after a Jamaican drug dealer who's really violent. That's already your misunderstanding why people liked Predator. So Predator 2 is something else entirely. Predators is about humans going to an alien planet and being hunted. It's the most dangerous game, but not with Predators, not with humans, with other Predators, which is like, fine. Works out enough. That's the Robert Rodriguez one. Let him churn out a movie in Austin and set it on the Predator world. Whatever. That one's not so. The bad. Predator is about how autism is the oh my god the future of human evolution, and it's all about mixing genetics and how like the greatest predator needs like that autism gene. That is stupid. 
uh alien versus predator is an idea that was born completely out of a prop at the end of predator 2 when they put <laughs> an alien skull in the predator spaceship and people were like oh my god and so those also I say not good. i don't think that movie's so bad avp the first one. my earlier rant the first half of Alien vs. Predator, not terrible. No, it's the I, idea of, I, Alien the idea of finding fun. this giant this giant pyramid under, under Antarctica. Or Antarctica. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, Lance Henriksen's in it, I think. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's not fun. a good Alien movie. Uh, it's a pretty fun Predator uh, movie. It's just like, what I mean, are they hunting this time? Wolf- but like once that it becomes about you know people being hunted by predators, it gets boring as shit. When it's about the mystery of the set design this thing that's been here for thousands of years yeah. that's neat but uh when it becomes a full bore predator movie without you, any real are you not a it, slasher no, horror fan i guess not based on this i i, I have no i would never think of myself as not a slasher horror fan i'm I starting just, to think you're like not. the predator, the predator it just does not seem like a particularly renewable resource for these kind of stories which is all a prelude to say that like i really appreciated the angle that prey takes in trying to revitalize um this and resonates with how Dave has described the original Predator um, in putting it obviously in a very different milieu and it makes some very clever choices. Uh, but I still, even watching and enjoying the movie, was like, I don't understand why people would be interested in watching another Predator Because they movie. see the potential rollout, in the design. And the original the rollout uh, occurred where they had gone, you know, because Dan Trachtenberg's original plan was to uh, present the movie just as a, as a straightforward um, action movie about a Comanche huntress and uh, then the big twist was going to be split like you know it's, it's actually a predator movie and I think in that event that actually would have been enough shock to the system where I'd have been like oh maybe I do think this is cool if <laughs> there's a predator I don't know I've been so franchise pilled over the last 20 years that maybe that would work for me but uh um, franchise pill I know but in this case <laughs> Um, I, as much as I appreciated and enjoyed the movie, the, the, the whole predatorness of it all as being a draw, I, I not, I can't wrap my head around, but, um, apparently I'm alone you, in that I camp. I think you are. I mean, I think there is a lot of potential, unlike Jason or Freddie or Michael Myers. Um, there hasn't been a lot of experimentation with predator over the years. There are not many predator movies and not many people. And the few that there are have been alien versus predator movies, which again, you're already diluting it in such an excessive like cash grab way that you, you there's not there hasn't been a lot of time to explore what a predator movie even is or could be so you have i mean prey is successful in at least thinking in the uh david gordon green halloween mode of hey we should try and do something that's like the first predator movie maybe that would be what people want out of predator but like try and re-engineer the characters so that there's you know, stakes for the, the human element um, and a new scenario for the human element. And then you put the predator in it. That's what you do with a predator. Like after the first predator movie and prey, it's starting to, un- there was a whole meme going around on, on Twitter about like, where would you drop the predator next? Yes, exactly. No one's ever really thought about it that way because no one's ever understood what the predator movies are as a, as a franchise or as a usable character. It's just like a slasher horror movie. And you could keep going, not saying that's, that's a good idea. There's not, you know, there's not many good Freddy movies. There's not many good Jason movies, but you can understand why you would do it or try. There's potential there for uh, just a what classic slasher. Lago, am I right? Hey. Mm, well, here's, here's mm, the thing. Topical it, humor. I, I, uh, it's, always, got, it's always in the news. <laughs> I got Java to watch this. Uh, that's J-A-V-A. I recently had somebody on Twitter being like, I thought her name was Java. I'm not mean to my girlfriend. Like, I'm not Tony Pizzaing Java. Uh, it's, it's, it's the name she goes by. Um, <laughs> um, this was her first Predator movie. And I was like, do you want to watch Prey? Because I'm going to watch it and I'm going to watch the Comanche version with subtitles. That's how what I wanted my first Prey experience to be. And she was like, is it like a horror movie? Uh, like, am I going to be like scared? I'm like, it's more an action movie than a horror movie. Uh, none of the Predators, I think, are particularly good at being scary because the whole thing is that like you're just being stalked. That's the base of what the fear sort of They're comes not really from. hiding. Otherwise, it's just kind of cool. I guess they do have uh, cloaking. You know, they, yeah. Like a visibility thing. But us, us as the as the viewers are aware that the predator is right. there a lot of times. So it's I don't think it's like a stalking horror movie. So it's like it's an action movie. And then the thing that Prey really keys in on 
that the first predator has, but as I was saying, it's sort of like implied, is that the predator is like the ultimate colonizer trying to take out the strongest warrior of whatever he goes and claims as his own. So uh, it really works in this particular time period with actual colonizers uh, to then throw a monster in there, just sort of mix everything up. Uh, I don't think it tries to go any deeper than that. It just tries to avoid making bad decisions. So for me, the weakest parts of the movie are callbacks to the original Predator. To Java, she didn't Wait, notice any part? of those. She's like, if you don't mind. Uh, if it bleeds, it yeah. dies. The second she falls in a mud pit, oh, I'm no, like, oh, I, at least I they subvert that. Was really, that, but. That, was, that was fun. When the Predator comes up and he's covered in mud and that's like a little nod. Well, no, when they subvert it, it's good. But like really early on in the movie, she falls in the mud pit. And I'm like, can we have a Predator movie without mud, please? <laughs> um, but it, it makes just a lot of smart choices. And ultimately what it is at the end is it's a action movie. And I really appreciated the choices it made with its languages because watching the Comanche dub and uh, then watching watching it with that, I was getting English subtitles uh, for the Comanche and there isn't anybody who speaks English in the movie, so that felt very authentic. And then when some French people show up, they don't subtitle them in, right. <laughs> at all. So I just got French subtitles. <laughs> so it all felt like very authentic I, and like of a piece. I feel like I, my pretentious ass, would have liked this movie more had it leaned. Not that I... I didn't like it again. I mean, this is it is a direct to Hulu movie <laughs> in the the shithole days of August, and uh, and it feels Dan like it. Knows, we should. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of in but, the middle. But on Dan Trachtenberg knows how to shoot this genre yeah. stuff in a way yeah. that feels fresh and exciting. You saw it in Ten Cloverfield Lane. He does it here. I think the movie immediately has a watchability that I wouldn't necessarily expect from the subject. But and Amber Mid Thunder is very very cool, and uh, she's been in cool and some other stuff as well. And it's great to see her get a hero moment here. But uh, I I would have preferred this. I think had it leaned harder on the colonialism pit. Um, in fact, but I it's so locked in as I am uh, to the idea of the predators just being these like teenage boys who are coming to test their metal and measure their dicks and then like be allowed to go back home. Um, and that is that I think that is the crux of what I find interesting about the series is the whole just like I'm coming here to show my worth as a predator and then I get to go back home and it just doesn't really feel like any where you can go with that. But I think had the story started from a place of uh, the predators are coming here to colonize, to um, try and take over, you know, had it been a little bit more of a conventional alien narrative in that sense, but maybe not as boring as it now sounds in my head. That, well, you see, that's the thing is that the movie, that, does... the movie does sort of have that because it's the first Predator movie where it's it's focused on like its title, like Prey. Like before we see the Predator kill things, we see the working up of the like we see a wolf kill a rabbit. <laughs> that and we see like a snake shot where like the entire circle of life happens around the Predator's <laughs> translucent legs. In, uh, yes. In, uh, I'm yeah, so like there's stuff like that, and yeah, it's kind of dumb, but that's what it's feeding in, is it's like, it, we don't have to stop and explain the Predators to you, because one, if you're a Predator fan, you've seen all the movies, you know more about the Predators than you ever want to know. And then two, that's like, that's not that's never been their purpose in the story. The purpose in the story is they're the big monster that is slightly more technically advanced than you, and therefore, it decides that it gets to do whatever it wants with your fucking planet. And that's a colonizer narrative. So I'm way into like this. Like, I would be into a horror movie that also had like that similar narrative where it's like, this area is mine now, says Jason Voorhees, and he just kills everybody who, you know, puts up with him. So I think it's layered a lot of stuff in. And when it could stop and become a big head scratcher about whether or not colonization is bad. It instead pivots to become an action movie, which is why it's but a it good movie. But it still has something because to say it's... by by the end credits, which I I mean I don't think we'll spoil too much to say that uh, the main character overcomes her predator uh, in this movie and and sla- <laughs> slays that predator. Um, but what I what I found fascinating by is is her attempt to to be a hunter and in her tribe she cannot get anybody to take her seriously none of the men give a shit about her even though she has obvious skills and she is doing all of them she's doing all the work in their hunts um and then that is what that's another person was going kind of viral on twitter for making fun of prey 
because they couldn't believe like Arnold Schwarzenegger could obviously and a bunch of Marines couldn't kill the Predator. But uh, this one woman single handedly kills a Predator. Yes, that is the point of Prey, actually, that she's being overlooked not only by the men in her tribe, but by the Predator. By the men on Twitter. By the Predator wow. himself. No, by the Predator himself. And that, <laughs> that the Predator cannot see her as a true foe, which I thought was awesome. And it gets this amazing triumph moment. Um, and the movie builds toward that. It's really sowing the seeds the whole time. I, I, the movie is about it, something it, it, and it's empowering. Did you watch Prey, Katie? No, I've never seen a Predator movie. I'm just going to put my you know, cards on the table here. I mean, it this, sounds interesting. I, mean, this would I like to Cloverfield place. Lane. This would be a good place to start, certainly chronologically. You think so? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's very, very I think cool. yes. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's a, you could make the argument that this is better than the original Predator, and I wouldn't laugh you out of the room. Like, okay. I, it's because uh, there's a kitsch of a very different kind. Um, I mean, yeah, not, I mean, yeah, that's not it. really kitschy. I mean, like this. If you laugh at the way he says, get to the chopper in all those memes that you've seen, I have that's definitely that of, seen the memes. Get that's to the, the type of movie that Predator is. It's like, look at these greased up, swollen muscle guys. Yeah. And aren't they kind of silly? But is it like, uh, I mean, I was, I was curious it? for Katie's take mostly because it like, I think it skirts. There's something at this point in the cycle of like girl bossification and, and sure. you know, bringing women to the front of these stories. There is something rather pandering about it being as simple as they're making fun of her in her tribe and the predator doesn't take her seriously uh, as a potential threat. I mean, and like that, like I it, had this thought, too, as you guys are describing that again, I haven't seen it. But I do, when I hear I, that, I'm just no. like, oh, good. Ladies can fight, too. Now. Yeah, but okay. it's not as girl boss. It's not as preachy as that. I think it's I think it's well, well done. I, I often gnash my teeth. You say, you're saying stuff. it's subtler than that moment in Endgame where all the women yeah. team up to uh, fight together. <laughs> yes. because yes. Of girl yes. power. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what it sounds like. You guys are describing it is. It is played better than that. Um, I will say the movie. Uh, I, I, obviously, I'm, I'm praising it a bunch and I had a good time watching it. And I also watched the Comanche dub uh dub dave and i thought that was a good play it didn't seem too over it, it was it was all like adr right there was not a lot of scenes that were shot and spoken it's in it's all adr right it's adr by the original cast which is nice uh but it's definitely adr the thing i appreciated the most about it having done the comanche version first and then rewatching it uh initially is uh the Comanche version feels authentic. Like the subtitles are not the English script, and then you got the Comanche dub. The subtitles are the translations of the Comanche. So a lot of the anachronisms I felt with hearing English in this time period and hearing sentence structure that's oh, you from this both. century. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, okay. I watched it the second gotcha. time with the with the English, and the English makes it feel slightly cheaper or like a cheat. Mm. Uh, the Comanche version makes it. Uh, different like the languages that they use to speak to each other uh, are mm. free of American uh, idioms and stuff so like a sit down and at one moment she's being you know she has a whole bunch of her male tribe mates they're trying to get her back and they kind of tie her up and they tell her to sit down and shut up that one it, it translates something more to like uh, be there and be quiet or like something that's just like slightly more authentic than a Comanche nations person being like, sit down and shut up. Mm. So I feel like there's a little bit more with that. Yeah, the, I don't yeah, think it'll feel like it's like has a, a bit of a, a contemporary flavor. I would say yeah, it has a laugh yes. track yes. in it. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but it's like, it's, it, it is not trying to be authentic period English. And therefore some anachronisms make it in where I feel like with the Comanche dub and then the subtitles, you're actually dealing with a language that like only I think a hundred to like two hundred people actually speak fluently at this point. So you're actually dealing with the words they would be using to describe the situation they're in. So there's a point when like they're like hunting a mountain lion and they keep referring it to like a lion or a cat. And Chow and I were like, what do you think the animal actually is? And it ends up being like a cougar. And I'm like, yeah, but I guess they wouldn't they, they wouldn't have called right. it a cougar. They would have just You're used getting these more words. Basic they have language. It. It's like less filtered through the Ratatat screenwriter lab. Um, yeah, it, it, watching the Comanche version reminded me of this. Uh, I'm I'm gonna paraphrase Robert Rodriguez whenever he talked about El Mariachi in the making of that movie and how he was kind of like bullshitting his way into trying making something that would get accepted by the masses and maybe like go play can. He's like, I had to shoot it 
in Spanish language because everyone would think it would, was like automatically arty to do it in a foreign, quote unquote, foreign language. <laughs> to, so I would distribute it in American. People would be like, wow, this is art because it's obviously not in English. And I kind of thought about that a little at prey uh, to its benefit. It's just like it's taking away, it's stripping away any of the like Hollywoodization of this movie um, and making it more basic. And there's not a lot of dialogue in the movie either. So dubbing over lines does not interfere. Like it's, there's not a strange disconnect in, in that choice. Um, so I would definitely urge people to watch the Comanche yeah. language version. The one thing I had, the one issue maybe I had with Prey is uh, it, it feels a little stuck between a big flashy blockbuster and maybe a made for TV or a DTV action movie. That's just like down and dirty real life stunts and that sort of thing um it has a bit of a fan film sheen um which makes sense for dan trachtenberg ouch i mean dan trachtenberg comes from the fan film world he did that portal fan film like 12 years ago now that kind of put him on the map and i thought about that a lot during this where i'm like oh this this is a fan film it's like what if predator i don't know hung out with all of our Native American cosplay group or, or like reenactment group or, and, and like, oh yeah, what if you just shot this in your backyard with a predator costume and a bunch of people uh, in, in the Comanche Nation uh, wardrobe? You could. Uh, it wouldn't be like this, but it did have this kind of like fan film experiment flavor to it, which was good for some like removing the bad sequels and like the bad Hollywoodization again out of the, the equation. But it, I think just like it didn't look majestic in a way it didn't like take advantage of the locations i was waiting for more like i mean patches i think that you're on the nation i i did feel like they do a lot with a little in terms of the scope of the film um i do think it is photographed beautifully in a way that would have scaled up onto movie screens had we been able to see there the one area where, where the budget is sorely apparent and this is not unique to prey it is a problem in a lot a lot of movies with much higher budgets these days uh is in the animal cgi which is truly atrocious and, and, and quite borderline a bit of it. <laughs> movie yeah i mean that's because mm-hmm. it's so central to the plot of the movie it's borderline film ruining for me wow and i completely understand i mean it's like a, every single instance of it takes you right out of the movie it takes me right out of the movie anyway um because it's so bad and I understand the impulse to use animated animals because um, great it, article about this on Polygon. I saw, I saw no. Go read about this on Polygon. Dave saw nope. He didn't like it, but he saw it, and he retains an important <laughs> lesson. Um, and yes, that's one of many reasons why you wouldn't want to use real animals in some of these situations. However, until we, in the words of our uh, of, of our favorite Mar-a-Lago resident, figure out what's going on, uh, oh, we may not want to make movies with animals as the main characters or some of the main characters because they're unwatchable. I mean, it's, if it's RRR and you're just making a total cartoon of it, that's one thing. But I, I think in a movie as serious, yeah. uh, relatively, uh, tonally as this is, uh, I think we need to just put our pump the brakes for a second and recognize that the technology is not there at the budget that a movie like Prey is operating on and even on movies of budgets of much higher size and maybe come back to stories of this nature down the line. I think, uh, I think no, no, uh, I, I think, no, wait, no, wait, no. Wait. This is where you want I the cheap effects. I have to agree with David on this one. For, I, I, uh, I, okay. I want to hear your point about cheap effects, but I will say that those, I won't call them cheap. I don't know how much these uh, fake snakes I mean, cost. It's usually it's like they don't have a lot of money, but <laughs> right. it's also under, underworked, overpaid VFX designers. This is a plague in Hollywood these days. Um, but it's obviously more evident in the streaming fair where they're running at a much faster clip. I, I will say the, those moments of CG that snap, they snapped me out of the film too. I, I think they also just clash with the realism of the movie itself. Suddenly everything else looks a little more fake or like you're, you're waiting for something more realistic to bring you back in. It just it swings you back and forth between trying to be immersed in uh, the obviously very real, like they set up this uh, Comanche tribe and you float around their their village and you're trying to become immersed in that part of the film that's so important to her character but you can't because there's just so many kind of like fakey elements around it is stuck between bigger spectacle and and something more intimate and character driven Uh, if it had better effects i would have expected a 
different quality of movie. Like Patches, you were you were pretty close when you were describing it as a slasher. Like this is okay. This is a movie where you read the script and the predator lifts a grizzly bear over his head and disembowels it, showering in its blood. That's hilarious. That doesn't have to look. That doesn't have to no. look real. That just has to. I have to recognize what's happening. And so I think there was a line that was drawn in recognize what's happening slash the incremental build to eventually there's going to be a neon blood bleeding predator just walking around a bunch of people like that's what they're building to. That's the only effect they have to be like somewhat realistic and it's a predator like it doesn't exist. I will say. Yeah, it does. They make a lot of good choices. The predator is invisible until they like spread some dust on him. So like. When he we do get his first full reveal, at least it's in a dusty background, so they could shoot it on a green screen stage or whatever. Like I, they're, they're making decisions, and I'm not saying that the CGI looks good. I'm saying the CGI is pretty well dialed into what this movie is. Uh, like I don't know if I want to kill 50 VFX artists I think, to have. I, a, I, I, you know, certainly the answer is not to throw more VFX artists on the fire. It's uh, it's to you know give more money and time for movies to get this sort of thing right, but. Um, I think I have a more philosophical difference with you, Dave, just because if this is meant to be sort of the new way of digesting blockbusters and certainly the way Hulu is touting it, you know, not as just like Sharknado 7, but like this is their marquee programming. This is what's meant to keep people away from movie theaters uh, on a weekend in August. This is the new iteration of this longstanding franchise that even if I don't understand the appeal of is still something that has been around for a long time. And I, I just philosophically disagree with the lowering of the bar of that being permissible, which is why I, it irks me that the movie, like if you're going to go to DTV, then go to DTV. But if we're just going to shrink the movies and pretend that they are still a, a, right. a quality right. that you would expect to see in theaters, but they're not because we're giving them so much less money and so much less space, so much less resources, then like you're just pulling the wool over our eyes. And you're trying to fuck us. And like that pisses me off. So either Either like, you know, you got it. It's exactly what Patches is saying about the movie sort of being stuck between two worlds. Um, and I don't think that's anyone in, you know, in the cast and crew's fault. Uh, I think this is a sort of conceptual issue. It's a really cool idea that Dan Trachtenberg had for this movie that he brought to the studio when Predator was happening. Um, and I think he executes it extremely well with the resources that he has. Um, but I, I, yeah, you know, I wanted either sort of like it's so tantalizingly close to feeling like something real that it's like you want a little bit more meat on the bone in my case, or you want it to be a lot sillier, but it does sort of get stuck in me. In the- I mean, if you were to tell me 10 years ago that Dan Trachtenberg, Shane Black, and Robert Rodriguez would all be making Predator movies and I'd like the Dan Trachtenberg one the best, that's just that's insane. Because like if we're talking about this kind of like having a fan film veneer. Predators was shot in Robert Rodriguez's backyard, partially. He has a whole studio down there. They like that happened. He was like literally making a Predator film in his backyard. This is not that. It might be like somewhat more fan motivated and from like a younger director, but like this is what Predator movies are stupid. They're effect action movies. And I give credit for attempts when it's something like Predator, because other people's attempt is like, what if autism is the next step in human evolution? I I think we can agree that the Dan Trachtenberg is the best of those three films. Um, And that may say, you know, as much about Dan Trachtenberg's talent as it does about the failures of those other two movies. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, I at this point. He did some. He did such resourceful, clever filmmaking with Ten Cloverfield Lane. He does it again in a different way here. It's great that he can do that. But at this point, I'm just like, you know, and and Hulu is literally saying that Prey is the most successful original program they've ever had. Like, wow. if I know streaming is in free fall all of a sudden, but like for Prey two, give him a hundred million dollars. You know, like let him let him Prey really two, Prey tell. Yeah. Hmm. Well, just wait until the Aliens franchise comes back and it's the old Aliens and not Ridley Scott's Prometheus Aliens. We're all going to be like, what the fuck? We didn't know what we had. Anyway, uh, Prey, it is streaming now on Hulu. Uh, If you go to the extras, you will find the Comanche dub that Patches and I both recommend. 
check it out if it's your thing. You know, it's August. Nothing else is out there. I'm not unconvinced <laughs> to check it out. You guys, have- your kids oh, will good. love it. I didn't talk you out of it. They yeah. would love it. <laughs> I only have eyes. What's gonna for- happen to that snake, mom? I only ah! have eyes for Bluey season three oh, at this wow. point. Call me when it's wow. over. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, deputy editor of Polygon. I'm I'm currently reading that Kiki Palmer is now hosting an, a new revival of Password on NBC. Has anyone? Yeah, with Jimmy what Fallon, the I think. Hell, um, Kiki Palmer. I mean, Kiki this Palmer, may be a whole summer. Segment. I feel like she is she is such a thrilling and unique variety of movie star right now. I want her to just keep doing absolutely everything. That is wild she's gone straight to the like jamie fox i can host a uh a fox game show and be in giant movies at the same time career she's no been... she's been hosting stuff for like she's hosting like a baking competition show what? on disney plus oh my lord yeah, so she, has done she does it, it all. all i know already. i did see her tweet and she's right she has done it all and she's yeah. all. um anyway so are we we've done it all on fighting in the War.com. this was the perfect segue to Years and years of, of back episodes that you can listen to of the podcast. You go spend some time on fightinginthewarroom.com. Whatever movie you you watch, if it came out in the last, like, 11 years, we probably talked about it on this podcast. Um, I suppose that's true. Uh, I, I'm i David Ehrlich. I was, uh, I was on one tonight. Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot going on at the moment. Um, but, uh, what else? What else? <laughs> you know what I do? I'm David Ehrlich. I haven't seen anything, but it's all bad. <laughs> I just, I just like reverting to my, my character being a stand-up comic who's run out of material. So I'm just going, what else? What else? What um, else? You, you can uh, go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room, where you can leave us a review. We will, uh, read it live on the show. Uh, more narrowly, we do that from iTunes in the event that my computer does not implode as it did, uh, adding to my day's many frustrations tonight. But uh, Dave, uh, if they would like to leave us a review by other means, particularly if they're out of the country, where can they do that? Well, you can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can listen to me on the Trial by Content podcast uh, on uh, Spotify and The Ringer which this is the last week before we enter the long night of doing debates and covering house of the dragon oh god game of thrones is back uh it's gonna be it's gonna be fun 11 weeks of fun come check us out uh i'm katie rich i'm here to bring the news that kiki palmer hosted a singled out reboot on quibi wow yeah, about that Quibi. <laughs> if you go through the all. self section of Kiki Palmer's IMDb page, it will blow your mind. She guest hosted Good Morning America for a while. Good for her, uh, she literally can do anything. Um, you can find me at VanityFair.com. Uh, originator of the Sorry to This Man meme. Uh, I'm proud of that. Um, speaking of Kiki Palmer, uh, on the Little Goldman podcast as well, where we're doing a book club talking about the book she said, soon to be a movie. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H or we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where you can tell me your favorite Kiki, Hol- Kiki Palmer hosted anything or answer this week's lightning round question, which was. In honor of Apocalypse Now and E.T. the Extraterrestrial being re-released, what movie classic should be in theaters to fill this gap? Thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs>